Hi, I'm Anna Burt, and I'm Sue's daughter. Hi, I'm Emily Benito. I'm Trudy's daughter. Though our mums are both dead, the fact doesn't change. We're both adapting to living our lives without our mums, and know we are very much not the only ones. We have joined forces to create a podcast in the hope that we can provide what we feel we needed and still need in our grief. The mothership, the mother load. There's no getting around that mother means something big. There are so many different kinds of mother, biological, step, figure, and so many different kinds of grief when they're gone. We're here to do what we can in podcast form, welcoming guests so we can explore our experiences together, where they converge and where they vary, and, hopefully, understand a little more about the nuance and scope of The The Mother mother of All Losses. Emily, how is your grief today? I have to say, Anna, it's pretty close to the surface. I wrote something for my friend Jules, who died just before the end of 2020. And her funeral's going to be next week. And obviously, I can't go. I can't be there. And just the sort of surrealness of everything just came home even more with the added surrealness of grief and in and in this context so I was pretty wiped out today and uh yeah and I think grief just follows grief doesn't it and ended up thinking a lot more about my mum in the foreground which isn't necessarily a bad thing you know but yeah kind of sore today and and trying to be all right with thinking like okay well I I grieved today I wasn't like doing nothing like mourning is an actual activity and it's weird because yeah and obviously because we're in lockdown it's not like I had to call anyone and say I'm not coming into work today and I'm not someone who wants to be like let's look for the silver linings of this because there's fucking none come on but and, and I'm in a very particular situation in that I'm still able to sort of take the day you know mm. um but I do wonder what we're gonna, gonna do when we are able to come out of this because there's so much for us all to feel together that's still to come so I'm in a very <laughs> I can't even think of the word for it but but that's how I am and how my grief is today I am um... I'm well firstly very sorry again and it is unimaginable and I'm not going to grace you with any form of platitudes like (laughs) it's going to be okay (laughs) at least she lived because it's terrible and she was way too young and it's it's very tragic but I think what you said about grief leading on to grief is so interesting that I um like funeral you know other people's funerals that I've been to since my nan whether or not I've even met them you know they might be like my friend's grandparents or you know Mm. I was just going there to support them I really really find that it makes me reflect on mine and it really I feel like almost allows me to to grieve publicly because it's kind of okay to be sad at a funeral and I'm crying for them and I'm crying for their families and what what they have to come and what they've been through but also I'm crying for my angry from what I've been through and I think that's absolutely all right you know that's why not and that's the weird thing about not having a funeral that I can mm. go to is like, 
oh, it's, it's a point of lots of people to come together and recognise the human condition. And that's very helpful. It yeah. doesn't fix anything. But just that you can all be there together and just the grief of that person, as you were saying, like, the just grief, grief of anyone. Mm. And what a kind of um, a real bond it can be. Absolutely. I think there will be a lot of very complicated grief, you know, post-pandemic actually and yeah. hope anyone that's listening who's been through anything like that um you know feels maybe just slightly comforted but but it's very difficult really to kind of even imagine completely and if not comforted then and I know we say this word a lot for different reason but a little less isolated yeah absolutely how about how about you Anna how's your grief today it's it's pretty inoffensive to be honest, it's not really there. Um, I've had a busy day. I've been working a lot this week. Um, okay. I've been writing my novel um, oh. and I've been um, learning how to apply liquid eyeliner. So oh, wow. I've been very distracted. Um, no, my um, my grief hasn't been, hasn't really been notable this week. Um, like I said, I've been busy. I've read a whole book. You know, I, I just, oh. I've been distracted, but I don't think I'm yeah. pushing distraction. I think I'm just genuinely kind of fine. <laughs> Nothing to write Good. home about, which is just a well, because this is my home and I live here, so I can't write <laughs> to myself. <laughs> um, but I'm really, really excited about our guest today. Um, not only because um, she's wonderful and funny and has almost as good hair as me, but um, we really, really bonded early on about um, losing our mums when we were the same age. Um, so I'm delighted to introduce Miss Bibi Lynch. I can't believe you started on the hair. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to be provocative during this recording... <laughs> Hello both, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming. So Bibi, can you give us a bit of an introduction to yourself, um, you know, what you do, who you are, before we go into our quizzing you? Yeah, I'm um, a journalist and a broadcaster. Um, I've been, oh, I was working out the other day, I've been writing for 27 years. <gasps> I know, you only look 28, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know, it's mad, but yeah, I've been a journalist for about 27 years um, and a broadcaster for a bit, uh, uh, not quite as long a time, but um, so I write for titles like uh, Guardian, Telegraph, Stella, uh, Metro, I've had columns in Grazia, New Woman, Red, uh, GQ, and I have a show on BBC Radio Sussex and BBC Radio Surrey. Um, I co host a podcast for metro.co.uk and yeah I kind of talk and and write and spend too much time on Twitter. I can relate to that um so our first question Vivi that we that we go in with is um how is your grief today tell us tell us about your grief. My grief is so well today it's deflected so today it's it's diverted um pushed pushed along by a bit of fury so I don't have children I write a lot about this and and something that's interesting about me and my mum is how different our lives were or are um so my mum was uh, 40 when she died I was 22 um and she had seven children so I'm and I'm the eldest and the best and I um <laughs> so 
yeah so we had like like totally totally different stories and yeah my grief today is about so I write a lot about not having kids and as Jodie Day the founder of Gateway Women which is a platform for men and women that um, child was not by choice what she calls pronatalism and so the pain of not having children is not quite superseded but it's definitely almost equaled by the fury of the whole kind of as a mother world that we live in and so actually a lot of my grief about my mum that I've had such staged in grief but I do think it's deflected onto my grief about not having children and today Kate Middleton she's not even Kate Middleton anymore is she but you know Prince William's wife Kate I don't even know what her title is um spokeswoman of exhausted parents everywhere apparently was on the BBC again talking again about how exhausting being a parent is in lockdown and it's like if only other people in lockdown with equal problems and I suggest greater problems had as much coverage it drives me insane and and another really horrible thing about lockdown was that it's really promoted this kind of, oh, if I see one more single person talk about how stressed they are, kind of level of pronatalism. And it's it's infuriating. It's really insensitive and it's really painful. So in answer to your question, how am I grief today? It's, it's definitely pushed itself towards fury and is, is, is against that. But in terms of my mum... I've really been thinking about this a lot because when I I started much needed therapy <laughs> when I was 39, which is the, the, a year before the age my mum was when she died. And I think there's a lot in there that I did that. Um, and throughout my therapy, they would always say, your mum's kind of not here. She's not visible. So I'd always talk about my dad. I'd always talk about just kind of life. And and it was it was true. And then my dad died. And so then the grief, would, I'd be talking about my grief towards him and my mum still wasn't really visible and I don't think it was just because she wasn't in my life for long I think it was because of my dad's character and also how I grieved my mum and the way I grieved my mum was I didn't because when I was 22 I didn't know anyone else who knew anyone who died so I had no vocabulary for it I had no place for it I had no no one to allow me to grieve and then when my dad died I was 42 and I wrote a piece for Grazia and it was the first piece I'd ever written that was, that was, I used to just write funny stuff or sexy stuff. And it was the first time I'd written funny stuff. She says, you know, it was apparently it's supposed to be funny. Um, it was the first time I wrote um, about me and about how I felt about something. And it really, and I, I realized I could write like that. And it really seemed to resonate with people. And the, and the thrust of that piece was I was like suddenly an orphan at 42 and, more important than that was I was allowed to grieve. I was grieving my mum and my dad because mm. at 42, I was around people who had grieved and who d allowed me to grieve and um, who gave me the space to do that. And I did have the space to do that. And 22, I didn't have, I had more stuff going on that I was escaping than than just just the grief. You know, I'm using a few, few little inverted commas there of my mum. So my grief today is angry, but my grief about my mum in the last couple of years um has really been bubbling up it's been interesting and my niece for Christmas and my gorgeous Ellie bought me oh, I couldn't believe it it was and she had to it was it's discontinued so she had to find it uh, a bottle of the perfume my mum used to wear oh, wow. called Pagan and it was such an incredible gift it was just so beautiful and and then another thing I, I I've recently moved and I don't have many things of my mum's or my dad's. 
But one thing I did have my mum's and my dad's, I guess, but my mum used it was an, a nursing chair, um, which was, you know, very worn because she used it often. And it was, um, and it was, it's real like moth, you know, moth destroyed and just like really crappy condition. And I found a really co a great company down here called Straw and Order who have upholstered it for me and it's being delivered next week. And I'm like, yeah. and that feels symbolic. It's like I've had that restored and she's called Lynch, the chair. <laughs> and uh, I named my furniture. I think that's perfectly normal. I, 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 yeah. And, um, and Lynch is coming back. And, and then my sister and I, my brother Dan um, and my nephews went to Wardron, which is a village that my parents lived in and the village my mum died in. And I couldn't deal with the visit. I kind of, again, thought I was fine. So it's, it's so weird. Like, my grief is very, it, it has been suppressed for a long 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 time and something has happened mentally and emotionally to me and I'm not quite sure what it is that has given me the space to allow it in and in Wardrum where we went to the house we didn't even go to the house we were outside the house I couldn't stop crying and it was so so and I mean she's buried there as well so I mean but it was raw and 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 ironically like childbirth which apparently you forget how bad it is because you know you, in case you want to do it again <laughs> I think grief is I, I know you two are, in, are close, closer to it in terms of your mums, but it hasn't been raw for me for a long, long, long time. Mm. And it's so in so in terms of the therapist who said my mum is invisible, she's getting more visible. And I don't know what that's about, but I kind of like it. That is so fascinating. And and also just like I always I think about this so much because you're the oldest of seven and your brother, your youngest brother was, was it two? Yeah. So Patrick was two and mum died. And I remember the one, the saddest thing, and I don't know if Pat knows this, I don't think I've told him it. I remember going to the house and and he just, he called me mum. Oh, because you look so similar and you have the same name as well, don't you? Yeah. We look, we, yeah. Do you feel, I mean, don't answer this if you don't want to, but that you kind of absorbed the role of mother figure for your siblings and that in a way that kind of mitigated some of that grief you almost didn't have the luxury of grieving because you had to crack on I uh, see I would say I did take on the role I don't I don't think I took the role on my sister actually took it on more in a, a kind of literal sense mm -hmm. she because I'd left home right so I was you know so um Yasmin was at home and I, I guess kind of you know you know, cooking and cleaning and doing that kind of stuff if, if that's like the mother mm -hmm. role but I kind of wonder and, and I actually say this and I've never really talked to my siblings a lot about it and I don't know if it's true so it's I can't really say it from their point of view but if it makes a lot of sense to me is that I feel like in a way they see me in that role a little bit and not just because mum died and because I you know I wish I looked like I, I, I'm like a you know the, <laughs> the poor person but um but we don't say name and everything um but also I'm I'm five five or six years older than um, my next sibling than John, so even that even that I'm old you know do you, I mean I'm they're, they're, there's an older kind of role so there's mm -hmm. it's almost like three lots of children so there's me then five year gap and then there's John Martin and Yasmin within I think three years then there's an eight year gap and then there's Michael Daniel and Patrick again within oh. about three or four years so there's almost three little groups little families within the family. Mm -hmm. And I didn't grieve it because there was there was a lot going on at home um, where my parents lived, and I 
I left when I was 18. I was thrown out on Boxing Day when I was 18. <gasps> and, um, and so I, I, I'm a Londoner and I was born in London and we moved to Sussex when I was 14. And I, only, I was only there for four years. And then I came back to London. I, went, I just went straight back home and I went back to London. So my grief wasn't that I, I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't um, um, honour it or show it or kind of feel it. I mean, I certainly felt something. I did grieve, but not in a especially healthy way, I guess. Or actually, I didn't tend to drink or drugs or anything like that. I just didn't, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't have the luxury of grieving because I was suddenly on my own. Mm-hmm. having to fight you know when I was 22 so you know after and I was I was still on my own and um you know trying you know somewhere to live and that kind of stuff so I didn't really have that space but what what I did find with it and again maybe stopped me grieving was it gave me that real ambition that I've got mm-hmm. it gave me my drive and I don't know if that happened with you two but it gave me that it gave me that obvious life is too short feeling So rather than be scared of my mortality, because at 22, I guess you're less likely to, what it did for me was rather than make me think, oh, my God, I'm going to die, you know, death, death, death. It just made me think, fuck it. Mm. I'm going to fucking go for it. And it made me just really want. And because also my mum, I felt, you know, again, I can't speak for her, but um, not. And this isn't all she did. I'm not saying it in the terms of all, but I think she had a frustrating life and she, you know, she was a mum seven times. I mean, if anyone here can do the maths, she, you know, for how many months, how many years of her life was she pregnant? Well, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, and yeah. she didn't, and I think she, she had a really, you know, she, she had a lovely singing voice and I think she would have done, wanted to do other things as well as be a mum. And, and I'm not saying I did it on her behalf. That's not true at all. But I, she never said to me, Never pushed me to have children, never pushed me to get married, never did any of that. But I think quite liked that I wanted to, you know, I wanted to be a singer and I wanted to act and then I wanted to write. So I think she kind of, I think she, I would have loved her to have seen me write that I'd done it. Mm. I really would have loved that. Oh, baby. You've touched on a few things there about what happened in your mum's life, but could you please tell us? more so how did your mum live and if you could tell us her name as well please so my mum was called Bibi and my mum so my mum's name was Noor Bibi Ullah and then she but then Bibi um is a Muslim name and Mm. it means (laughs) if you laugh at this Anna I'm gonna get really upset it means respected woman (laughs) it means lady it means apparently it means lady beautiful aunt respected woman so I'll, I'll take all of those um <laughs> great hair and, um, yeah and great hair. it means lots of lots of freckles and um so nur uh, n-u-r-e but but nur bb is um often used as a second is often like a second name but mm-hmm. she kind of adopted it as a first name so my mum was called bb everyone knew her as bb um my mum's dad was bangladeshi my mum's mum was born in birmingham actually um to a Sri Lankan father and I think an Irish scouse mother and her dad was Russian Jewish. So we've got Russian Jewish, Sri Lankan, Bangladeshi and Irish (laughs) and scouse going through the family. So it's extraordinary. So mum was, so yeah, mum lived in Neil Street in Covent Garden above Frank's calf. And she was, 
so devastatingly beautiful. I mean, it was it's, it's infuriating. <laughs> she was incredibly gorgeous, as as were and are all her family. And she was from this really, really kind of glamorous hip family. So they, so Lucy, my nan, had again had lots of children, and joined my granddad. Um, I think was a, worked in a, a Bangladeshi restaurant. His kids. They lived in Covent Garden and it was like the hippest bit of London. Um, I mean, please, why on earth did they let go of that flat? And why on earth did it not come to me? But anyway, so my uncle Farouk would hang out with Tony Visconti, David Bowie's producer. Um, oh yeah, I mean, all this kind of stuff was going on. There was, I think, was it called? was it called the Roxy or something? It was like a punk club that was, off, you know, they, they just, they just knew everyone and everything was really cool. And then Cat Stevens, who then was Stephen Giorgio, um, was in a band with my uncle Meru and they would rehearse in my nan's um, front room. And apparently Cat Stevens, who then was Stephen Giorgio, um, really liked my mum, had a crush on my mum and would give her his dinner <laughs> no. money. His dinner money, I love that. <laughs> and then him and my uncle Mary had a fight. I think because um, Cat Stevens was getting all the attention, you know, when he was even then, and um, they had a fight, and um, my uncle broke his nose, and uh, <gasps> the band split up. And six months later, I think he was number one with Matthew and Son. So you know, there was a happy ending there. <laughs> my my gorgeous uncle Royce would be in plays and shows in the West End, and and he, you know. You know, I I go to Covent Garden the whole time when it was a fruit and veg market. It was my and market, you know, flower market. It was my it was my stomping ground when I was like a kid because I'd go there. And Royce was only a couple of years older than me, three four years older than me. So we would like, who's like my big brother? So it was it was just really like our territory. So in my eyes, my mom was this incredibly glamorous woman, and I tell you what they do as well. It's just so cool. They were like a brown family, and they were the first brown family in that area and um so they were seen as exotic so when the um eno at the coliseum wanted brown extras <laughs> they'd get no. mom. yeah so they'd be on stage they'd be extras at the eno i mean it was it was incredible so she had kind of all this you know incredible stuff going on you know I just it was it was it to me it was like so and she she just looked you know she did look really beautiful and she'd like loved her loved her clothes my friend Helen would make her stuff and my mom <laughs> my mom I think this is true Dan my mom had a chainmail dress made for her no she would yeah she had like kind of like you know Native American Indian style <laughs> you know what you'd, you'd see like with feathers and stuff she had um a Catherine Hamnet um Hamnet kind of outfit she um my, my friend Hale would make her stuff. I'm trying to think what else she had. And I remember saying to my brother Daniel once, oh, you know, she'd look great dressed in a, a, a bin liner. And she turned up at school in a bin liner once. No. I mean, I, she would just <laughs> kind of mess about with that. She loved fashion and stuff because she was still young. Yeah. She was only 17 when she had me. <gasps> like the week young. before her 18th. Yeah. Wow. yeah. The week before her 18th. So she was still you know experimenting with fashion and stuff and everything so do you know what I mean and she she just loved that stuff so she like, loved all her clothes and I, so, yeah, <laughs> I remember she picked me up at school and again, again all the boys would love her she turned up I remember her turning up once in um a, a brown Range Rover my mum took five lessons five uh, driving tests to pass and I took seven to pass and I remember her once she was terrible and I remember her driving um a Range Rover 
and she forgot it had um the the rack at the top and we got caught in car park like caught under a bit of kind of metal or whatever um and she'd turn up in the Range Rover or a Triumph stag and then um and one of the boys at school was really really like the throb at school chatting my mum up it was like for god's sake but um yeah so she lived she was really sarcastic really funny but it's really interesting because I remember when you said to me you know any stories about your mum and I was thinking do you know what there are but I don't really want to share most of them yeah because they're mine yeah and they're too precious because I don't have much of her I'll tell you something that happened recently and this is so brilliant and I had a little panic about it and again it kind of shows where my head's at with my mum I got an Instagram message from uh, a girl just saying we are um I'm your granddad's granddaughter from his other family now luckily I knew about this other family (laughs) and the way I knew about this family is my mum and I went to pick up my granddad from Heathrow I guess after one of his trips to Bangladesh and we'd never gone to pick him up before mum might have before but I hadn't joined her um, so we turned up and we were at arrivals and, you know, went through bustling crowd. And then we spotted my granddad and all his cases. And then there was a woman next to him. And then there were about five children next to her. And I was like, oh, my God. So when he'd been going back to Bangladesh to give family to um, money to his family, he was with another woman and had been having children <laughs> with her, right? I mean, we laugh now. So it was like, oh, my God. So anyway, so I knew they existed. So this girl got in touch and she was one of those children's uh, daughter and she's really lovely. And we we were messaging and I was like, oh, gosh, this is man. She said, tell me about granddad. I said, you know, I didn't really know much about him. He was called Join and he would, um, yeah, he was in like Covent Garden and the actor Billy Whitelaw because my granddad was Bangladeshi, <laughs> kind of thought he was kind of like the Buddha of suburbia and, she, and she'd think he was spiritual and she'd say, join, you know, what is the secret of life? He was a, you know, he worked in a restaurant. So it, it was like stuff like this. But so I said to this girl, so I, I know that about him. I know that he took over a shop in Covent Garden in Neil Street and I think it was like a leather shop, like not, not a naughty leather shop, just kind of leather goods. And, um, and what I did know about him he used to he used to flick his eyelids inside out. He used to freak me out. He told me I looked like Princess Anne, and he um, made the most incredible chicken curry that my mum and I would get. I think it was the fifty two bus from Brixton to um, High Holborn, and we walked to Covent Garden with Tupperware boxes, and we'd have our day there, and then we'd bring this curry back to where we lived because it was like unbelievable. And this girl said to me, "I've got the recipe." <gasps> And I was like, oh, my God. So my brother Dan and I, she gave us the recipe, which was just so sweet of her. And we, we had the recipe and we went out, Dan and I, and we, we got drunk. Then we bought all the ingredients and then we came home um, and we carried on drinking. And my uncle Royce was in Bombay Dreams. And um, I had the soundtrack of that. So we played the soundtrack, like Shaka Laka Baby. And we were playing that, <laughs> although Royce used to call it Shaka Laka Baby. And, um, <laughs> and Dan made the curry. And oh my God, we had this whole thing of we put out our family photos of mum, especially, and like kind of showed them the curry. And then we ate the curry. And then I couldn't stop crying because it tasted just like the curry. Oh. It was so extraordinary. And the ridiculous PS and the kind of unbelievable PS is Dan went home because I live in Hove now. Dan lives in London. Dan went home to London with some of the curry in a Tupperware dish. Oh, 
it was amazing. But the, the, the possessiveness about it, I haven't given Dan the recipe. Mm-hmm. And my friend Shelley was like, have you got the recipe? And I went, oh, yeah, yeah. And she went, what's it? And then I went, oh, oh. And I sent it to her. And I was like, Shelley, I don't want you to have the recipe. <laughs> yeah. I don't want you to have the recipe. And then she went, oh, you haven't. It's okay. Because you all it said was, uh, you know, because I didn't, I didn't even give it to her. But I said, oh, you know, there's, there's like, you know, there's turmeric in it. There's ground cumin in it. I didn't want her to have it. I didn't want it. Yeah. And I love Shelley. I just didn't. It was like, it's mine. That's so interesting as well. Talking like feeling like about wanting to keep those things sacred to you when you don't have much apart from memories. Yeah. How did your parents have... meet? Well, I thought they met. Um, I think they did meet. I, again, this is a weird thing. Twitter. Someone got in touch with me and said that she knew my parents or someone she knew. Anyway, there was a connection, and she said, "Oh, are you BB, who's was BB and John's daughter?" That was her connect. Her contact me, and I went, "Yeah, who are you?" And there was something that she was the daughter of blah blah. They met at a youth club in. I think Covent Garden. I think somewhere right like that. Dad was a Dad was a London Irish, so Dad was mm-hmm. would have been living. Dad was born in Hampstead, and then when the war happened, went back to Ireland, then came back, and then was South London. So he was like Norwood and Streatham and Gypsy Hill and Brixton and you know Stockwell and everything. So, but I think they met centrally. I think he was at some kind of youth club. Now I'm not sure if this is true, but someone told me that he was engaged to one of my mum's friends, and then saw my mum. <laughs> how bad's that but he was only 21 when they got married wow yeah so I want to ask you this is like a kind of two-pronged question so you've mentioned Mm. earlier about when you were 22 and your mum died basically not having not being able to kind of experience it really because no one else around you had so Mm. the next question we normally ask is what works and what didn't but um and I'd like you to kind of see if you can answer that about your mum but I'd really like you to talk about that in terms of the grief of your childlessness because this is something that I've learned so much from you since I met you um and it's really really changed the way that I approach the subject and for instance I will never ask someone whether or not they have children as a kind of indicator of getting to know them. Like I don't like Mm. asking people how they earn their money because it shouldn't be relevant. Mm. Um, So, you know, what worked and what didn't for you in both of your large griefs? Um, And it is interesting to call childlessness a large grief because in a way it's worse than my mum and my dad dying because it's your present and your future. Whereas mm-hmm. your parents are always your past, right? And a bit of your present, mm-hmm. but this is this is what what you know. You know, I wanted children. I always thought I'd had one child, and I, I thought she'd be called well, she or he would be called Frankie. Um, and I only wanted one child. I guess I think because mum had so many. I don't know. I just didn't because mm-hmm. I I did. You know, again, I wonder if my well, here I was. I was going to say, I wonder if the kids would argue this. I often subconsciously call um, subconsciously um, accidentally call my um, siblings kid my kids. <laughs> what would but Freud I, say? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, so for me, it's not just the pain of not having children. It's the kind of there's no lineage, there's no standing in society, there's no. It's not having that love, that love that you're told is the greatest love ever, and it's, and that is exacerbated by feeling that you don't count. I mean, I'm so destroyed, and I mean genuinely mean it. That Keir Starmer is now calling Labour the party of family. Oh God. That, you know, as a mother, you know, Andrew Ledson, you can't, um, 
I don't have a tangible stake in the future because I don't have children. Yeah. Hardworking families. I want to tell them all to go fuck themselves. Genuinely, it makes me apoplectic. It makes me so angry because it, it, it hits my grief so hugely. Yeah. And also my, and I have a real um, sense of injustice. I, I hate anything that's unjust. And that, that makes me, you know, there are good parents, there are shit parents. Having a child doesn't make you a deity. It, may, it doesn't change you. It doesn't make you have more compassion. It does none of those things. You give birth or you your fathered child yeah. that is it the rest of it is you coming into it I am no less compassionate because I have no children I'd say maybe I'm more compassionate because I have had the pain of not having children yeah and I also so the grief so the what's nothing so far <laughs> so far nothing's helped the grief of not having children um actually that's not true I write because I write about it yeah. Um, I wonder if I've purged a little bit about that. And I've often wondered, why have I said something, the, the, the most painful thing? Why have I put that out there? And I think it's part of my process. Mm. I don't think that's any kind of groundbreaking you know, announcement, but I think it's part of my process. I also think, this may be more groundbreaking, is it's um, to let people who know me know not, not that I can't have children. I'm not can't have children. I was physically able to have children. I just didn't meet anyone. There's, it's called um, social infertility, which you'll be um, unsurprised to hear. It's on my Tinder. It's so, it's so sexy. Social infertility is, um, yeah, you just didn't meet, didn't meet someone and didn't have children, and you know, and that's, you know, that that's my story, and that's a lot of people's story. Yeah, I mean, the the, the grief around it is just is is unbelievable. But what kills me is that. If I go back to my grief with my mum, a friend of mine who isn't a friend of mine anymore, and this is a big part of it, I think, he knew me when I was 14 and we were, we were really good friends and he never, ever, 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 ever once mentioned my mum dying. Right. He couldn't even, it was, it was the uh, mental equivalent of him crossing the road every time he saw me. He couldn't do it. If you can hear my stomach run around, I apologise. Um, he didn't, um, and and that's what didn't help. That kind of thing did not help. People not giving you space. You don't have to kind of do this, head, you know, the pity head tilt. Uh, you know, how are you? Mm. How are you? Jesus Christ, those words are so powerful. Not, are you feeling okay now with the yeah. nod? Because then that means that people want you to say yes. Not the, you know, not, are you better now? No, don't do any of that. Just how are you? Yeah. It, I don't know how, I don't know why that's so difficult. And so in terms of my grief over childlessness, I write the pieces so people know how I am. Because I've had, I, I've lost count of the number of times that people have said to me, we don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. Well, here's the thing. I don't know what it's like for a baby to die. I'm imagining it's not that great. So I yeah. know that you're in pain. And then as an adult who is emotionally intelligent, I know to deal with someone in pain, you ask them how they are. Mm. Why is it so difficult? Jodie Day, again, I mentioned Jodie Day because she's so brilliant on this. She calls it disenfranchised grief. And we all know what happens with grief that's not recognised or acknowledged. It lasts forever. Mm. So that's what's not, not helpful, not letting people who are grieving for whatever reason they didn't have children, not letting them grieve it. Not Don't say, oh, you could adopt or have mine for a weekend. Then you'll be oh, grateful. Yeah. Oh, my no, God, no, go no, fuck no, yourself. No, no, no. 
what oh are God, some of the yourself. what are some of the worst things people have said actually if you don't mind going into it because I think it's important for people to check themselves yeah on this subject. I've had um well at least you don't have stretch marks well I do <gasps> um at least you can sleep at night well I would say <laughs> my sleep is pretty you're one of the worst sleepers I know <laughs> thank you for saying that it's pretty up and down not least because of the grief of not having children because often when I do sleep I dream about babies yeah. so last night God. I dreamt I was in love with a man called um Marion Scottish man called Marion who was having <laughs> anal sex with a bloke against a car watched by a nine-year-old girl who was a um did a really good george michael impression she wasn't doing it at the time and the man was called marion and his nickname was mums i mean it's every level isn't it it's unbelievable but i dream about babies all the time i dream about holding babies the whole time and often in a dream i'll be holding a baby thinking i feel okay-ish it's like I'll be questioning my grief. My grieving is is very much um, the kind of um, advancement of it, the development um, progress, or or otherwise is very much kind of mirrored in my dreams. Um, but I'd have, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I today the the the. I, what, is, she, is she called Princess Kate? <laughs> I don't know what she's, she's called, called the Duchess, Duchess of, Cambridge, of Cambridge. Yeah, thank you. I was like, what is she called? <laughs> Duchess of Cambridge. When she was saying that again, it got my head going. One of the yeah. worst things that happened to me—not one of the worst things, but one of the worst things in terms of this—that again infuriated me was someone on Facebook saying. Um, how exhausted he was because he had children and then I was like oh my god you're better than this and then I was looking at some of the comments and this woman wrote yeah I was um I was at work and and a woman brackets no children exclamation mark said she was exhausted and I could have screamed (gasps) so I went in and went well maybe she was exhausted no, no, but you don't know the difference. Went, well, you don't know the difference. Yeah, but you haven't got children. Yeah, but you haven't got the grief of not having children. So I'm depressed and grief-stricken. And um, so, you know, maybe that tallies it because what you do have is the joy of the, of the warm, cuddly, beautiful creature, you know, to, to counteract the, 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 the knackedness maybe. Uh, and then this bloke's wife came in. You don't know. Da, da, da. We know the difference. We didn't have children to we later, so we know what it's like to not have children and be tired. You have the choice of getting out of bed. Do oh, I? No, I mean, it no, went no, no, on no, no, and on no. and on like that. And the PS to that is, at that point, I was actually nursing my uncle Royce, who was dying. Oh, mm. baby. So people are fucking. I'm swearing too much for your podcast. I apologize. Okay. No, no, but no, it, you're swearing it, the exact right amount. It, <laughs> in infuriates me because it's so and I don't know I can't get to the bottom of it and is it because what is it about what is it why why is childless grief threatening to parents Mm. why won't they allow it yeah that's like genuine question because does it shine a light on their happiness or not within therein you know inadvertently am I question am I making them question their lives because I, w- I won't shut the fuck up about this because I'm not going to not, sh- I'm not going to shut up about and this you- because, sorry, go on. Oh no, sorry, baby. The irony is that I was going to say, and you shouldn't shut up about it. And I interrupted <laughs> you, <laughs> but I, I, I just wanted to chime in quickly because I feel like your perspective is so valuable. And I think that you have such strong boundaries in terms of what you want to share and when so that it's mm. helpful to you and helpful to other people. And like undoubtedly, BB, they're questioning their lives. Because I think what you said in terms of, 
you know, you you, you give birth or sperm and mm. uh, the rest of it is all up to you, I think is incredibly telling and completely correct. Because I do think a lot of people think, oh, I will somehow magically become a better person once I'm a parent. Yeah. And then the the sheer reality of making and rearing a human being shocks them into a kind of like oh wait this is actually really hard Mm. (laughs) and I think you know because you're like actually you know all of this stuff happens as a human being you're not any more valuable Mm. than you were before is really bothersome to some people and I think a lot of what these kind of you know all that like oh my god I'm just I'm so horrified that people think it's in any way appropriate to say to you like oh at least you don't have stretch marks like fuck off but that's also like it's it's their discomfort and it's their dismissing your incredibly valid position so I'm just sorry and I also think we could call the Duchess of Cambridge that bint because I'm just a very very (laughs) she just keeps doing it and it's it makes it's that it serves no purpose because she's not relatable to any parent anyway she's no. not and she keeps repeating the same thing and it's also really insulting I had um I went around a gallery um with uh, with some people I knew and one of them um looked at a painting and said see look that's maybe good that you didn't have children you could have had an ugly baby because there was an ugly baby in the painting <gasps> no your Ma- audience come on Mariella Frostrup when she was there was do you remember my little twitter thing with her Anna yes. <laughs> Mariella Frostrup um did this a response to a woman saying she was approaching um, 50 and she mm. was, you know, depressed and sad that she hadn't had children. And um, dear Mariella replied and it said, oh, you know, you, you know, basically you're having a midlife crisis. Go on, go on a, a cruise with your toy boy. I use the word toy boy. Go to your GP, um, maybe get some antidepressants. And, and, and um, oh, what was the thing? She said, oh, look at my video and look at my um, documentary on menopause. So she gave herself a plug. Oh. And then, um, and then within it was talking about, you know, look at what you've got, not what you haven't got. And to uh. me, and, and she said, and it was something like, use the money or something like, something like use the money to go on a, on, a, on a cruise with your toy boy. Now, that's the equivalent of me saying to someone whose child has died, right? Yeah, I know the kid's dead. But, you know, look at, look, what could, you can use their room as a gym now. <gasps> yeah. You don't have to spend money on, um, on university fees now. You don't have to get them a laptop now. Go on, live a little, look on the bright side. Why are you so negative about it? Because it's visceral fucking pain. It's what we're told we're here to do. And even if that's not true, it, it, that's insidious, that kind of, that belief. And then that is backed up by Beyonce, it's the greatest show on earth. Thanks, Beyonce, very helpful. You know, it's that kind of stuff that's nonstop. It's nonstop. You, and I bet you notice it more now, Anna, because I've drawn your attention. A hundred percent, a hundred percent, and I'm, and I hope everyone listening can really learn from this because it's. I notice it a hundred percent more. I mean, I messaged you about it today with um, Kate Middleton. Just oh fucking hell! And also, it really annoys me when really rich people or royals try yeah. to relate to anyone. I'm sorry, yeah. you have staff. Just fuck off. Like you're irrelevant in every way. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Leave it. Leave it us is. alone. It is ridiculous. And it's like, and I don't know if it's like, I don't know if it's a cry for help. I don't know if it's like looking for some purpose in our life, genuinely, because I think that's, it's really bizarre. I think it's the only thing she can talk about, that and being thin. Like, and and 
and and again this is the thing with so many people who are trying who are like oh yeah being and I'm gonna up the posh as you can tell they're like oh yeah being relatable is like really important yeah yeah yeah, yeah. okay just keep <laughs> saying how tired you are yeah because apparently somehow just repeating an untruth makes it true these days and also the royals I think have to make themselves relatable to justify that the, you know their money so and I think they're up I mean I think they're they're aware that they need to do that more and more so they're you know tapping into the mental health stuff and whatever but yeah. I don't know she it, it's um it doesn't strike me as a good thing to do no I don't buy it and I'd rather buy taxes didn't go to it so if anyone's listening <laughs> I want them back um Bobo we're coming slowly ish towards the end of our recording today um and I just wanted to open up the space basically which is what Emily and I like to do at the end of the podcast and just ask you if there's anything we haven't asked you about your mum and your grief that you'd like to talk about I, I mean I, I'll ask you to because like I said earlier when I was 22 uh, mum dad when I was 22 I didn't um it made me go the life is too short push rather than um I'm scared of dying young have have you two has it made you more aware of mortality uh, uh yeah I'll go, <laughs> I'll go first um I <laughs> basically feel like I live in this constant limbo of thinking that I'm 28 now um I in this constant limbo of thinking I will not live past 30 and then also trying to um you know think about like a future and what that looks like and like I don't know this sounds so silly but I do fixate on things like I did 53 sit-ups today and realized that that and suddenly thought that's one sit-up for every year that my mum was alive do you know what I mean like and I'm really fixated on that and I kind of can't and I find this in a lot of like especially romantic relationships and you know when people talk about the future and you know let's just take it slow and stuff like that and I'm like but but I could die at any time like but then also still having a lifestyle that doesn't necessarily promote particularly long life. Um, <laughs> and, um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's very, but then also being kind of like, fuck it. I just want to live. And, and I, so, and we spoke about this when we used to be able to meet for coffee, but Oh my God, like my drive comes from my grief. Absolutely. Yeah. Unquestionably. I, yeah. because I've had to work hard. I've had to be independent. I've had to, back myself when no one else was backing me a hundred percent and in many ways like I am so grateful for the strength that is given me and grateful that I never have to go through that grief again that I can now just you know reap the benefits of going you know we're about the same age and our mum's died of losing Mm. a mum young and just thinking you know luckily being able to kind of absorb many of the good things that she imparted on me and take them forward and the 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 further away from her death I get, the much stronger I feel. But for a few years, just after she died, when it was much more raw, I felt completely broken and just completely convinced that I was going to die. But I still believe that everyone around me, like anytime I get a missed call or a phone call or a message that starts, hey, Anna, I'm like, well, who's died? You know, I've still got mm. that really morbid fascination. And my brother does too, you know. We both really mm. worry if dad doesn't pick up the phone which is ridiculous because yeah. he never picks up the phone and he's always just, <laughs> you know, on a walk or eating a chicken Kiev or something. Do you know what I mean? Like it's fine, <laughs> but one day it won't be in it. And it's, I'm, I would talk last week about anticipatory grief and that's something that is all through me all the time. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, whew, it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> How about I, you? Em? Yeah, I'm with you on the, Anyone who phones me like just before 9am, I immediately think someone's dead. 
and then it's not and I'm furious that they phoned me before I know <laughs> yeah I think it's I think it's also quite uh honestly quite a millennial thing like I just dread phone calls because I'm not used to them anymore I'm like mm. if, if there's something else you can literally just I, I will see it <laughs> why, why suddenly the the drama of my it, my phone is on silent pretty much constantly because I actually can't deal with it I have quite bad phone phobia um and I've never really got bad news by phone apart from towards the end of last year. I think I definitely had a huge amount of drive just after my mum died. And you got a, a whole Edinburgh that. show about it. I did, yeah. I did. And uh took, and went and went to Edinburgh and did a full run. And I think a lot of that was sheer adrenaline and just being mm. used to that level of energy in my body. And then it's difficult now because obviously we don't live in an alternate timeline. But now I'm like, I feel like lockdown has gradually made me sort of like come to a halt. And with everything coming around in terms of a greater awareness of how fragile we all are, I'm a bit like, oh. so it's kind of delayed. Um, but I am exactly the same, Anna. Whenever anyone's like, oh, you know, we'll just start, I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> when? <laughs> do it now. When? Yeah. Um, but partic- particularly with those, particularly with romantic relationships, I think because there is just, it's that different kind of bond that is more to do with intimacy and going forward. I think what you said, Bibi, is so pertinent in terms of your parents, always the past, but, you know, partners and children are your present and future. And I would just get so frustrated because I was like, look, just, you know, what's the, I'm not a fan of mysteries. Like I appreciate nuance and autonomy, (laughs) but I'm really, you know, I I only watch Midsummer Murders because you definitely know who does it at the end within an hour. (laughs) So I feel you. Um, But I think also um, I've tried to make some lifestyle choices recently. I'll let you know how I get on. But I've managed to stop smoking, so that's one thing. Oh, that's good. Well done. <laughs> probably... Thank you. That's Thank good. You. <laughs> i tell you what. Oh, yeah. my God. Smoking's hilarious. My mum was a secret smoker. <gasps> yeah. I love secret smokers. She was a secret smoker, and it used to crack me up. And she would just um, – she'd smoke um, 10 consular and just have them in a, in a little drawer in the kitchen little ten, and then she'd been and there'd be the, in the pub there'd just be this like little hallway to the loo and she'd always been there I'd be like unbelievable <laughs> I will say this about my mum um and I think this is lovely I love my mum now more wow now I'm older and now I'm letting her I'm 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 giving her space to be her now and I'm intrigued and I wish we're not a very close family me and her family um my uncle Royce I was desperately close to he died four years ago three years ago just when we met actually that was yeah yeah and so I don't really have anyone to talk to about her but I would love to know stuff about her I mean that could be one of my books I guess yeah please write it I have the most vivid image of BB in her chainmail dress oh my god smoking consular she... with pagan like a mix of yeah. pagan and <laughs> cigarette smoke through. and she was mischievous and naughty and she and she would crack me up she'd call um <laughs> tartar sauce goodbye sauce because it's tartar you know just like, <laughs> just like absolute rubbish like that but she was very it it would be so I mean like now what would she 
we never um, had a we never had a, an advice giving relationship because mm. I wasn't much. I mean, what's the age difference between me and you, Anna? Do you, I mean, I think our age yeah. difference. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. we 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 didn't have too big an age gap, so we we go clothes shopping together and stuff like that. But we didn't, um, and I I I run I never turned to her for stuff like that, and I'd kind of wonder what that would be like now. Be so interesting, wouldn't it? I never saw my mum age. Mm. Yeah, she was immortalised as this very beautiful 40-year-old, yeah. wasn't she? That's yeah. so interesting. Because she'd be hard, about 70 now, wouldn't she, Bobes? Yeah, I guess. So she died in 88 and she was 40. Anyone, anyone good at maths? Yeah, so she, she, she was born 70. in 48. What, she's in 20. <laughs> can't do it. We've all gone um, quiet. I'm sorry. I can't sorry, numbers are not my friends. I'm Hang so on. sorry. So she was, four, she was born in 48, 48, 58, 68, 78, 88, 98. She should be. No, she'd be younger. She'd be 62. No, no. <laughs> 62. This, how many? Come on, someone work it out. I'm not. I'm. I'm not leaving until this. Okay, thing. hang on. I've got. I've got. Um, calculator. She was born in 48. 58, 68, 78, 88, 98, 2008, 88. No. Wait, she's four years. She's born. Uh, four years before my mum. Wait, hang on. 2020. Take away 1948. Take away. 73. Boom. We can edit that. So that made you look all right. Yeah. <laughs> Watch this. It's like, how long does it take three creative women to do a simple salary? <laughs> she was set, she'd be 72. And then I have friends whose parents are like in their 80s and it blows my mind. Yeah. I've got yeah. I've got friends with great grandparents and I can't get my head around it. No, yeah. Well, I don't have a grandparent, I don't have a surviving grandparent. No. God, man. And and also like, you know, when people like one of my colleagues turned 70 and only last year did her mum die. And I remember just being like, what? Like, yeah. and, and, I, and I would say it every time. And I was like, sorry, Corinne. And she won't mind me saying, sorry, Corinne. I just, I just can't believe that your mum's alive <laughs> because I just can't. I couldn't get my little head around it. And it's, it's so would you like my neighbours, you know, in their 40s? And they're like, oh, you know, my grandparents are visiting. And I'm like, you're fucking what? Yeah. <laughs> eh? Yeah. It's so weird. Oh, BB, thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. I apologize for the swears. Oh, and sorry. um and I didn't um I didn't make one joke. You would were you, very would funny. You, would you like to make one now? Um no. <laughs> <laughs> you can have too much of a good thing. No, no, but I will say, I will say, actually, I'll leave with this because this makes me laugh. It really makes me laugh. Um, and this this will be another book. So we'll we'll have like BB BB in search of BB or the BBs or whatever we'll call that. Um, and um, and there has to be a book which is you know I'm exhausted, which is weird because I don't have children. <laughs> <laughs> I will personally publish that for you. Um, BB, how can we find and follow you and read some of your fabulous work? Oh, that would be lovely. I'm um, on Twitter at BB Lynch, B-I-B-I-O-I-N-C-H and bblynch.com, all my work's on there. And um, I'm on BBC Radio Sussex and BBC Radio Surrey, Monday nights, 8 till 10. If you ask very nicely, she plays Shania Twain. Oh my God, you uh, you started <laughs> with an insult <laughs> and you've ended with just, a, I don't know, I can't even know. Can I go now? <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Mother of All Losses podcast. 
This episode was produced by Chris Thorburn. Music by Kane Aris, who can be found at Atom Collection 2 on SoundCloud. With huge thanks to Hannah Trevathan. If you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on themotherofalllosses at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, take care of yourselves and your grief.